Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. And work our way through uh, verses 24 to 49. So, this happened at my house last week. I was in the kitchen doing some dishes, like all real men should do. Yeah. And Lucy comes into the kitchen. She says, "Dad, I have a question." I said, "Shoot." She said, "If God doesn't have a physical body," How can we be made in his image? I said, hey, that's a really good question. Go ask your mother. (laughs) A little off my game. You know, it's mental dishes. Wasn't ready for that. So, So Lori did. She went, Lucy went and asked, um, asked her mother. And Lori said, we aren't reflecting God in a physical sense but we are in a spiritual sense. The immaterial parts of God is what we're uh, made in the image. And if you start digging into that a little bit, you understand um, that man is much more than a physical body. You know, we are spiritual, moral, social beings. All of those things wrapped up together. And so it's all of that that exceeds every other part of creation to be able to reflect God back to the world. And that ought to give us kind of a good clue about what our purpose is for living, since we're the only part of creation that that can do that. Now, for those that have been born again into Jesus, we have the knowledge of the one true living God and a responsibility to live our lives reflecting him back to people who don't know him. And Daniel is going to show us how to make some God-strong reflections um, in our lives. So let's pray as we dive into this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word and uh, for the treasure that it is in our lives. And, you know, it's proven time and time again. You can open any page of this Bible and it will speak to you. It will tell you about your life. It will tell you about you. And so we just thank you uh, for the treasure that it is. And we pray that it might have its way in us today, that you'd speak through it to our lives, that you'd encourage us to live God strong. And I do pray, God, that these words of mine, meditations of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first way that Daniel is going to show us how to make some God-strong reflections is from our words, using our words. So we're going to start in verses 24 uh, to 30. 
Therefore, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretations? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you, as you lay in, your, in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So remember, Daniel is just coming out of his prayer closet. God has answered his prayer. He went to God, asked for what does this dream mean? What is the dream? Um, So he's having this great private moment with God in his prayer closet. He comes out of the prayer closet and then he goes to Arioch, who's rounding up all the wise men to exterminate them. And he tells him to stop what he's doing, to take him to the king, because he can tell him what the dream means. So Arioch, he complies. And he gets Daniel a fast audience with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel's roughly 18 years old here. So not very old. And so being kind of low on the totem pole of professional dream interpreters, you know, he's kind of junior. He's a junior dream interpreter. And there's senior dream interpreters. And they're, they were the ones that got brought to the king, you know, that first group where he made the ultimatum. Tell me the dream and what it means or you're going to die. So Daniel wasn't part of that group, but he was part of the extermination of what was going to happen. So Arioch brings him to the king and he introduces Daniel. And it sounds like here that Arioch is wanting some credit uh, for finding someone who can solve this huge dilemma. He says to the king, I have found. I have found the man. Well, actually, it was all Daniel finding Arioch, wasn't it? Daniel was the one who sought out Arioch. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he asked Daniel, can you tell me what the dream is? Tell me what it means. And Daniel's first words were, not I, but God. Quite a difference between the two men. Arioch, I have found the man. Daniel, not I. I can't, but God can. Now, there is a secret to being able uh, to have God's strong reflections from your words. And it all has to do with your heart, the position of your heart before God. Jesus taught that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Arioch, here he is, he's this pagan soldier, he's in charge of the guards who carried out the uh, most powerful ruler in the world, his commands, so he's in charge of those guys, he's got an important position, and he's looking here for a little recognition, maybe uh, to get a little bit of that reward that was promised to the one who could solve the problem. Maybe he wants a promotion, but whatever it is, he comes in, I have found the man, I want some credit. Daniel had the very same opportunity. 
to improve his station, but he, he wasn't looking for that. He was looking for an opportunity to tell people about his God and about what he can do, people that don't know him. And so he could have, you know, Daniel could have come in and said, uh, when, the, when the king says, you know, can you tell me what the dream is and what it means? Yeah, I can do that. I figured out the biggest problem ever posed to a man, ever. That's not what he did. He said, no, I can't, but God can. Daniel keeps going. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has given you the dreams and about what is going to happen in the future. So let me tell you what the dream is. And then that's kind of, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't tell him right there. He starts to. You know, there's a colon in the scriptures. Like, here it is. And then he kind of keeps going. As you lay in your bed, O king, you know, uh, while you were sleeping, uh, you got this picture of future events. And I, I'm about to tell you about them. But, but remember... It's not because I'm better or wiser or more gifted than any other person on the planet. It's because God wanted you to know. It's because of him that he wants you to have these dreams and to know what's coming. So you're getting this info not because of me, but because that's what God wanted. That is a beautiful reflection of God through Daniel's words to other people. I can't, but God can not from me, but from God. Not because of me, but because of God. And you know, we can use those very same words in our lives to reflect back our God to people. People who don't know Him, people that do. They, we can use the very same things. I can't do this, but God can. It's all Him. And uh, that starts in your heart starts in your heart, your, your attitude about who you are and why you are the way you are. Now, Daniel was in service to King Nebuchadnezzar, but he was not a servant of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a servant of God. He was serving God there under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And God gave Daniel gifts to explain dreams and interpret them. He, he's the one who gave him those dreams. But what did Daniel do with those gifts? He didn't depend on them. He ran to God. When he heard the problem, I, hey, I, I'm good at interpreting dreams. That's not what he said. No, he said God's the one who interprets dreams. He runs to God, runs to his prayer closet. Please pray, guys, we're going to die. We've got to have God give us these dreams. He runs to him because he knows who he is and he knows why he is. Do you know that? Do you know who you are? Do you know why you are? The way you are? There is freedom in knowing. There is freedom in knowing that you belong to God, that you're a servant of God. There's security in that. There is a freedom in knowing that your gifts and abilities and talents, some that you were born with, some that were given to you when you got saved, that all that comes from God. There's freedom in knowing that because when you're free to, to uh, when you have that knowledge and you're free to acknowledge God, you won't be sounding like Arioch. Look what I did. You'll be sounding like Daniel. I can't, but God can. Not me, but God. Something about work. I don't know. We got to go back Monday morning. Monday's a hard day. First day of the week. I love Mondays though. It's my day off. So, uh, so you go to work. Next team meeting, how can you make some God-strong reflections with your words in that meeting? How can you say to the people there, 
I can't, but God can. What do people praise you for at work? What does it mean? You're really good at that. Whatever that is, that's your opportunity right there. Say, it's not me. It's God working in me. That's your opportunity. You do that, you'll be walking in Daniel's footsteps. How many of you know for sure, 110%, that God helps you at work? All right. When you The next time you go, thank you, God, for helping me do this, tell somebody, hey, I just did this, but I couldn't do it. God did it through me. That'd be a God-strong reflection. That'd be saying, it's not me, it's God. How about school? Yeah, you, you know, school, I love reminding students that God is an expert at every subject that you are taking. And so, you know, I'm all about studying hard, but trust God and then watch what happens. Trust God and then watch what happens. So there's a way that when you're successful at school and other people see that, you can let them know how God helped you. And you do that, you'll be walking in Daniel's footsteps. So use your words. Tell others, it's not me, but it's God. I can't, but God can. She all right? All right. Thank you. So we can also make some God-strong reflections from our works. So from verses 31 to 45, Daniel gets into the dream and what it means. So he does, he does this amazing thing. This is one of the most amazing miracles that any man performs in the Bible. Um, what he does here. No wise man could do it. And it reflects God to King Nebuchadnezzar. We're just going to start with the dream part, verses 31 to 40, or sorry, verses 31 to 35. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So in his dream, King Nebuchadnezzar saw this huge statue. Presumably uh, it was of a man. And it's made up of different materials of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and a mix of iron and clay. It's really bright and shiny, and it's really scary. That's why I think it was made up of a man, you know, because it was scary. <laughs> so, while King Nebuchadnezzar is looking at this image, the action starts. And this stone is cut out of the image uh, by no human hand, and it falls and hits the statue on the most brittle part of the statue, the, the feet, and it caused the whole thing to collapse into pieces small enough that the wind blew uh, away all the pieces till there wasn't any trace of them left. At the end of the dream, there wasn't, so there wasn't any trace. So here's an interpretation of, of the image. So somebody thought this is what it looks like. So there's the gold head, silver midsection, the bronze, the iron, and then this mix of iron and clay. Kind of shiny, not, not so scary, but that's 
that's one that I want. You know, I, you can see all that. So, so Daniel moves on to explaining what all of this means in verses 36 to 45. So this was the dream. Now we will tell you, tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and then it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. So the different parts of that statue are different kingdoms, beginning with King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel describes, um, what he describes there, tells him right up front, King Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't your strength and your might and your power that set you up as king. No, God did that for you. It was God who set up your kingdom. He gave you dominion and power and glory and might. He established your rule over creation, much like Adam back in the garden. He says, you rule over all the people, from kids to adults, all the animals, from you know the beasts of the field to the birds. You rule over all that. It all happened because of God. But there's going to be this other kingdom that comes after this that will be inferior to you uh, in glory, but substantially, they will be stronger than you. Just like gold is more precious than silver, but it's also softer than silver is. So there's this whole pattern as you move down. Daniel moves down this statue and he begins describing the rise and fall of empires, of kingdoms. Um, And the kingdoms kept getting stronger in might, but weaker in heart. And all the way down to they get to the feet and the toes, there's this mix, uh, a mix of Iron and clay. And Daniel describes this mixture as people marrying people who don't have the same beliefs, who aren't of the same kingdom. And that causes a weakness in the kingdom. Don't ever think that the attack on marriage and family in our country is not being used by the devil to weaken the kingdom of God in the United States. Don't ever think that. That's exactly how it works. I mean, you could have thought this mix could have been a lot of different things. It's people marrying one another that don't have the same beliefs. You want to have a really difficult time in your marriage? You want to make your faith weaker? Marry somebody that isn't born again. 
Marry someone that isn't born again, that doesn't share your faith. Marriage is not a vehicle for evangelism. It is a vehicle to tell people about Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel and, and how God loves us. Okay, let's come back to this. So, because these families were weak in their beliefs, it made the kingdom weak and vulnerable, and they will be destroyed. So, let's first takeaway from, from this dream is God's sovereignty. It's a picture of God's sovereignty in action over kingdoms and empires and nations. God is the author of history. He is the one who writes it. He is the one who's setting up these kingdoms. Like I mentioned, just like he set up Adam and gave him dominion over the Garden of Eden, he, he gave King Nebuchadnezzar his. First Chronicles 29.12 says, King David was praying and he says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So God gave King Nebuchadnezzar this historical picture of his sovereignty in action, of the rise and fall of these earthly empires. And if you look at the history books and what actually happened, it's amazing how accurate the dream is. So here's a, a picture of what the, of the statue. And so you can see there that there's... Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom up there, Babylonian Empire, 606 B.C., then Media Persia, then the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire, and then in times. And so that's you know one way. We know for sure about the, the first kingdom and the last kingdom, and there's some variation in the middle there, and you can kind of get lost in what people think there, but that's, that's a pretty common way to look at, at history um, uh, from, this, from this dream. Now, the Roman Empire, it ended in... 476 B.C. or so. Uh, and so they had the longest run of any of those kingdoms. 500 years the, the kingdom of iron uh, lasted. And so these transitions that we see there from kingdom to kingdom, they aren't as black and white as we see there. You know, So there's a date there, but it didn't happen like in one date. Like we get a new president every four or eight years you know, and transition to power and boom, we got something else. That's not what's going on here. These kingdoms are conquering kingdoms and it's taking time. And so it's, uh, it's important to see that. Even to this day, as we are in the end times now, um, God is sovereign over nations. There isn't a nation in the world that he isn't over, that he doesn't have control of. Nothing surprises him today about what's going on out there in the world, and that should be a great comfort to believers. And it also is a reminder, of the, it's the second takeaway from this image, and that is that God's kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. It's going to um, destroy all the other kingdoms. And it's never going to end. You know, it, as you look at the image, every kingdom was, uh, there was a kingdom and then it said, and after this, and after this, and after this. Until you get to the kingdom of God, which is the mountain that fills the whole earth. And there's no after this. Because it's never any after, anything after the kingdom of God. It's going to, it's going to last forever. Now that stone that was cut out of the image without a human hand, no human hand cut this stone, that is a description of Jesus. Um, the kingdom starts with Jesus. And he topples all the other kingdoms. And, it, and then through him it grows to fill the whole earth. Jesus said of himself in Matthew 21, uh, 42 to 44, Have you never, never read... In the scriptures, he's talking to the Pharisees. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. 
And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So King Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a picture of that stone falling on those kingdoms and crushing and destroying those kingdoms. It's a picture of Jesus returning uh, on the last day, on his great day, to set up the kingdom of God. Now, I want to get to my point here. Uh, uh, Reflections from our works. Daniel is reflecting the glory of the Lord by doing this work in front of Nebuchadnezzar. So his words reflected God, and now his works are reflecting him. He isn't just telling people about God. He's showing people his God through his obedience and through his accomplishments. He does something only God could do. He tells this king, God set you up, and God's going to take you down. And he's telling you about this before it happens, and it's definitely going to happen. You know, we don't very often attempt things that we don't feel like we can do on our own. Occasionally we might, but we kind of stay away from that. But it's precisely in those situations that we can reflect God back to the world when we try to do something that only he can do. Now, Daniel's situation here, this this miracle, um, this dream interpretation, it's a special deal. You know, it's one of the most special things in, in, the, in the Bible. So I'm not expecting that to happen in, in our lives. But God does use our works to tell people about himself. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I went to this lunch last week at Brookville Road a Community Church that was hosted by World Vision. And World Vision's been around for a long time, um, and their mission is to serve the poor in the world, to improve their station in, in life, make a difference in their life, both physically and spiritually. And so this meeting was all about a part of World Vision that is getting churches involved in providing clean water to people around the world. Um, found out, I didn't, didn't know this, that the leading cause of preventable death in the world is dirty water. More people die of that than, than anything else. And so they've got this ministry to, to reach out and provide clean water. Now I mention it because the way they're doing that is they're getting churches, um, people to sign up to run races to raise awareness about this and to raise money uh, to help uh, dig the wells. And 80% of those that commit to run a race are not runners. In fact, they're not even athletic They're on the couch. You know, that's where they are. Now, you can opt in for a 6K run. Um, And a 6K run, that's kind of a strange distance for a run, if you know anything about the races. Um, But the reason it's 6K is because that's the average distance a child walks every day to get clean water. And so that's a pretty powerful motivator, you know, as you're signing up to run a 6K. If the child's getting clean water, can I do this for them? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but there's also challenges to run a half marathon and a whole marathon um, to fund this clean water effort. So people are going from the couch to the race in 18 weeks. They'll have a launch Sunday here pretty soon, and then they'll start running every week until they get to the race in November, and they'll be raising awareness, raising money. Um, so people... People who are doing this are saying, I'm going to run a half marathon, I'm going to run a whole marathon, are people who are sitting on the couch who don't run. I mean, they're not athletic at all. 
And they're trusting God to help them get it done. And it's changing them. There's testimonies about how it's ministering to their hearts. Um, and, and, and it's changing churches. They, they come back to the church and they get, they get involved in a greater way. And it's changing the world. Helping people in a major, major way. So we got this, this crazy thing. And so I'm just thinking, can you imagine signing up today to run 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles or 4 miles? Can you imagine doing that? To reflect God back to the world? I mean, my knees just hurt thinking about that, you know? But people are doing it. And they're doing it just to be a witness for him. And, it, and it's amazing things are happening. Now, another way that we can reflect God through our works, um, other than running a marathon, is to share the gospel with somebody. Uh, you know, I, I would say that most everybody finds it difficult to have a Jesus conversation with somebody else. And so not many of us do it. In fact, we might even think that running a marathon would be more tempting than trying a little evangelism, right? Um, but when we find ourselves in a conversation that we can point people toward God, we are putting ourselves in the very same situation that, that Daniel is in right here. Daniel has some information that God gave him. And he is going to tell somebody who doesn't know God. And they're going to respond to that. What, what is that? You know, you know what Daniel tells him? He tells him about that stone that was cut out by God. He tells him about Jesus. Daniel does. So how is his kingdom? Uh, he tells him how his kingdom was coming and it would destroy all others. Now, if you're the head of the statue, if you're King Nebuchadnezzar and you're on top of that and you hear a little stone's going to come and take all of us down, that demands a response. You know, what's he going to do? Now, we'll, we'll get to that in, in a minute. And then Daniel says, you know, this dream's definitely going to happen. It's, it's, it's sure. Um, so what's your response going to be? I mean, it's, it's asking, begging for a response. Now, Jesus, he quoted Psalm 118, 22, when he was uh, speaking in Matthew 21, that, you know, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so that's a story about um, when they're writing there about um, stone cutters who were cutting stone for Solomon's uh, when Solomon was building the temple, and they sent, sent a stone to the temple. And so the quarry is way over here, and the temple's getting built way over here. And so there's stone masons, and they're putting everything together, and they see this stone, and they go, "Yeah, we can't use that," and they, they cast it aside. But that stone that they cast aside ends up being the most important stone for the entire building, the cornerstone. And so. As this gets shared with King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he's got a response. He's got a, a decision to make. What is he going to do? Is he going to trust his kingdom over to this kingdom coming that's started by God? Or is he going to let the dream play out like it, like it does? And there's an alternative to the dream being played out like it does. Um, there's an alternative to being squashed by the stone. Instead of the stone falling on you, you can fall on the stone. That's what Jesus said. He said, but the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but wouldn't be destroyed. So when you are learning about God and his awesomeness, his perfection, his holiness, and his love for you, 
when you learn about that and then and then you learn about your sins against that God and how Jesus was destroyed on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins you're committing so you could have life with God. When you learn about that and you learn about the, the grave that Jesus was put in is empty because he walked out of it, when you hear that, it demands a response. You have to decide, are you going to reject the stone or is he going to be the cornerstone of your life? Will you fall on the stone? Will you throw your life, your dreams, your hopes, your plans, your aspirations, everything, will you throw it on the stone and be broken to pieces? Why do you need to be broken to pieces? Because Jesus is going to rebuild you. And he's the cornerstone. He will the center of your life. And it's a choice that we have to make when we learn about the gospel. We learn about what Jesus has done. And that's one of the ways you can make a God-strong reflection to others through your works is by telling people about the stone. Now, not always, but sometimes people are going to hear about that. They're going to hear how God loves them. They're going to hear about their sins, and that's going to hurt. And they're going to confess that, and they're going to say, I I need a Savior, and they're going to believe in Jesus. And when that happens, God is doing something through you, but you didn't do it. He's doing it through you, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Reflections from your works. That was a lot. Let's take a breather. <laughs> we got a little bit more to go, a little bit more. Finally, in verses 46 to 49, Daniel gets what's coming to him for this amazing work of God, and we are encouraged to make God's strong reflections from our wealth. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So the king here, we see his response. He is overwhelmed that Daniel was able to do this, that his dream was revealed and what it means. And he falls down in front of Daniel on his knees... And he pays him homage, and he says, hey, bring an offering and burn incense, uh, and that should bother us. Until you read verse 47, what Nebuchadnezzar says, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and does amazing things. So Daniel's not being worshipped there, he's being thanked by the king. So the king makes good on his promise that he had made, that ultimatum, and he gives Daniel some great rewards. He promotes him, ruler over the whole of Babylon and all its wise men. And Daniel asks if his friends could be promoted as as well. You know, prosperity is a greater enemy to the God-strong life than persecution. Prosperity. So when when everything's going well, you know, when we're healthy, when there's enough money, when we're figuring things out, so healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, that, that's, that's flowing in our life. When that happens, our dependence on God 
grows less when that happens. So our light doesn't shine as bright. Our heart doesn't beat as strong for God. Our hands take a a tighter grip on what we have. So the way that we can keep that from happening is to use our wealth to bless others. Our possessions, our positions, use them to help people. You know, I was thinking, if you are for small government in our country, you should be for big mercy from the church. If you are for limited immigration to our country, you should be for big missions to other countries from the church. We do it way better than they do. We are the most prosperous nation on the planet. And most of us didn't choose to live here. God put us here. Are we going to let our prosperity be an enemy of our God's strong life? Or are we going to use it to reflect God back to the world? Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Since we do a way better job of the government helping people, loving on people, um, you know, what are we missing? Why, are, why is it not happening? Because we don't give ourselves to it. We get lost in our prosperity. Carson Wentz is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, pretty new quarterback. He got hurt last year and he missed the run to the Super Bowl championship. Carson is a Christian. And last year he started a foundation called the AO1 Foundation. On his website, the mission says, on his website, it is the mission of this foundation to demonstrate the love of God by providing opportunities and support for the less fortunate and those in need. So the AO1 Foundation stands for Audience of One. And that's inspired by Carson Wentz's life motto, I'm living for an audience of one, Jesus. So the biggest thing that happened to Carson in 2017 wasn't an injury that kept him out of the Super Bowl. It was a mission trip to Haiti that he took. And when he went there, he got uh, you know this harsh reality that 98% of the people in Haiti will never graduate from high school. 80% of the people there are unemployed. And 54% of them are living in poverty. 55% of the population of Haiti is under the age of 25. And most of those kids have this huge passion for sports. And so they got this uh, bright light idea bulb goes off in their head and they said, we need to build a sports complex to reach these kids. And so they got this huge sports complex plan, 10 soccer fields, a track with 5,000 seats. I mean, it's a monster project that's going on. And it's all in an effort to reach these kids when they're young, when it's, when it's so important to shape their hearts and minds. And so the website goes on to say, while the AO1 Foundation believes that sports can teach valuable lessons to help advance the Haitian youth, we understand the ultimate goal is to reach these kids for Christ. By working with local villages and local churches, we believe we can introduce every child that steps foot on the sports complex to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what this foundation is all about. 
Now, Carson, about a week ago, he just announced that for the next two weeks, so we're in the middle of these two weeks, he would match all donations given to the AO1 Foundation up to $500,000. Now, you think in an NFL quarterback giving half a million dollars, so what? Ho-hum, right? Well, I checked. And Carson Wentz is in the middle of a four-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's making $26.2 million in those four years. And in 2018, $500,000, if he gives that, will be 7% of his income for the year. Now, translate that to your budget. And you think about giving 7% of all you will get this year in the next two weeks to advance the glory of God in the world. That's a big deal. And that's an example of what I'm talking about. Using our wealth to reflect God back to the world because it just doesn't happen very often. And above everyone else in the world, we have the greatest opportunity to be able to do that. <clears throat> and it's, it's a way that we can reflect God's grace and his love and his mercy and his hope to others. Now we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together before we close our service, and you don't have to be a regular member of Living Streams to participate, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, here today we heard about him as the stone. And if you think about your life, if you've never, if there's never been a time in your life when you fell on the stone and it was broken to pieces and a rebuilding project started, if that never has happened before, today could be the beginning of your project. Today could be the first day that Jesus begins to build your life around him as a cornerstone. You got to understand, God loves you. He created you. You are unique. He knows you better than anyone else. And he loves you more than anybody else. Try to let that sink in. He knows you best and loves you the most. Now, it's kind of hard to believe that when you think about that today I'm going to say something or do something or think something that's going to hurt his heart. How can he love me like that? I'm believing it's hard to do. Saying something, doing something, thinking something, we call that sin, things that offend God. But God showed his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinning against him, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, the stone, to come here and die on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins we're committing against God. He did that before we do anything. And he paid the penalty against, uh, he paid the penalty of the, the, those sins demand against the holy God. Now, when we sin, when we do something or say something or think something that's wrong and we know it's wrong, our instinct is to try to do it better, try to live better the next day. Let's, I'll try to get it right the next day. But nobody in the history of the world has ever been able to live one single day up to God's standard of perfection. It's not possible. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody except one. The stone that was cut out, not by human hand. Jesus, the Son of God. And see, today there is still an opportunity to fall on the stone. Put your whole life on the stone to confess your sins against God and to ask for his forgiveness. Not because of anything you've done or will do to make up for it, but because of everything Jesus has done on the cross. And when you do that, 
Your life's going to fall apart. It's messy. You know, we got Kleenex somewhere. It's a messy thing when you fall on Jesus. Things are broken. But it is a beautiful thing that happens. He becomes the center of your life. He becomes the cornerstone of a building that's going to go up and be this beautiful thing. You know, the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That can happen today. If you've never fallen on the stone. And so if you're here this morning and you've never heard the gospel like that before, um, if you can hear God calling you to believe in Jesus, to fall on him, you're invited to this altar this morning to come and share in the Lord's Supper. Just come. Just come and tell Jesus you believe in him and that you've sinned against him and ask him for his forgiveness and open up your heart, your life, to invite him to come in and start the rebuilding project. He will do it. There's no price to pay. There's no, um, you know, nothing you got to go through to. He's done it all. He won't shame you. He won't make you jump through hoops. Just got to trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, we come to your table today, remembering that day when we fell on the stone, the stone that was rejected by your people, the stone that came and was destroyed so that we could have life with you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Help us today, believing you just a little bit more as we think about reflecting you back out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.